Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today we are studying in the book of Acts, chapter 19. Here's Pastor Ryan. Father, we come before you again this morning with thanksgiving and praise for who you are, for all that you've done and all that you're doing. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You made the heavens and the earth. You made the mountains around us, Lord, the oceans and the, all the living creatures. You're the one true God. There are no other gods but you. Lord, this morning we come in the name of Jesus, asking that you would speak to us through your word, that you would strengthen us by it, that you would give us humble hearts, undistracted hearts to receive your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Pour out your grace, Father. We can do nothing without you. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul the Apostle is on his third missionary journey. He goes on three of them. But he's on his third one, uh, going into the area of Asia Minor, which in today's map, it's modern day Turkey. And he, the Lord has brought him all the way to that ancient city of Ephesus. And Paul had originally desired to go into Asia on his first missionary journey, but the Holy Spirit hindered him from going. God didn't want him to go into Asia the first time in his first journey because it just wasn't God's timing. We're not told why, but we can assess that it just wasn't God's timing for him to go at that time. But now it is God's timing that he would indeed go to Ephesus, that he would go through the area of Asia Minor on his third missionary journey. Ephesus was and is one of the beautiful ancient cities of antiquity it is for for the greeks it was you know one of their main seaports places of commerce it was it had an established port there were the ancient ruins of the temple of artemis which that goddess is associated with the goddess of diana and so this temple there in ephesus they say was huge it was even larger than the parthenon in athens and so it's a place where i pray that i get to go one day go on the footsteps of paul the apostle tour and get to go to ephesus but it was an ancient uh, one of the the great ancient cities and to the roman empire in asia it was their capital just like Corinth was the capital of Achaia for the Roman Empire, the Romans used Ephesus as their capital in Asia. So this is where, where Paul is, and Paul would use Ephesus really as a base for his third missionary journey. He would spend between two to three years there. We get the, the wonderful book of Ephesians out of his writing from a Roman prison to the church at Ephesus. So it's a church that, that he helps establish. It's a church that he loves. And we see the Lord about to use Paul powerfully here in Ephesus. And so that's where we're at in our story. And so verse 1, we read, and it, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And now the men were about twelve in all. And so what an interesting little exchange here that we, re that we just read, Paul the Apostle. It says here that he found some disciples. And uh, that, that's an interesting because we, we just read that these disciples had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. So how can one be a disciple? How can one be a Christian if they had not yet heard of the Holy Spirit? And it's unclear as to what the writer of uh, the book of Acts, Luke, meant by disciples. He usually refers to believers as Christians in his writing, but here he uses the, the term disciples, and commentators are unclear as to what it really meant, whether they were believers or not, but we're told here, or whether they were born again or not, but we're told here that all they knew was the baptism of John. Like Apollos, who we read about last week, he needed further instruction on who Jesus Christ was. He only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. Without knowing the full story, I personally believe that they weren't saved. I personally believe that they get saved in our story, and we just read how they got saved. Once they heard what Paul had to say about Jesus Christ, that is when they were born again. In my opinion, you can have your own, which is, which is fine. But that's an interesting thing to just get, have only part of the story. John the Baptist, as he was baptizing people before Jesus' public ministry began, it was preemptive, if you will. It was anticipatory for the coming Messiah. And people would come to John the Baptist at the Jordan River, and he would baptize them, and they were coming, and he would preach repentance to them, that, that in order to be ready for the Messiah, one needed to repent, one needed to change their ways in anticipation for the coming Messiah. So the people came to John the Baptist, you know, and he began to baptize them. We can assume that these believers here were already baptized, just not in the right way. They were baptized in what they knew, and it was John the Baptist's baptism for the anticipation of the Messiah. So Paul the Apostle here would have explained further, Messiah has come, Messiah has died on the cross for, one, for your sins, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. That's the gospel, that the Messiah, the Son of God, would come to die for our sins. And so once they received that, then, then it says here, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so 
I think that today there is, and obviously can be, just an ignorance to the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Especially if you just come to know Jesus Christ, right? It's like, there, you know, you don't know really all the aspects of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and how he comes in and indwells in a person and changes a person's life. And so I think it's, it's important for us to review that this morning for those who may be new believers, those who may be watching who, who don't really know you know how you know i believe in jesus but how does the holy spirit work within that and what happens and so i believe that when one is born again the holy spirit comes into one's life and that is the born again experience that jesus preached to nicodemus in john 3 3 Jesus, before he went to the cross, would say to the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 15. You guys writing that down? John 14, verse 15. He would say to them, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And in your Bibles, if you look there, when you check it out later, helper is capitalized with an A, or the H is capitalized because it speaks of the deity of the Holy Spirit. So I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Beautiful statement. And he says, it's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so Jesus Christ shared with the disciples, this is what's happening, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you, indwelling in you. Beautiful statement, and he refers to him as the spirit of truth, he refers to him as the helper. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit that he would give to them when the time was right after his resurrection. When one places their faith into Jesus Christ, when one agrees that they're a sinner in need of repentance, and that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, when one puts their faith in him, they, I believe, immediately are given the Holy Spirit if that's a sincere cry to God, a sincere confession, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in a believer forever. Can I get an amen? All right. When Jesus was resurrected after his crucifixion and burial in John chapter 20, verse 21 through 22, you can write that down. Jesus said to them when he appeared to them after his resurrection, he says, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So at that moment, the disciples were saved. He had died, he was buried, he was risen, and they believed him. Thomas touched the wounds on his hands and his feet and the piercing on his side, and he said, my Lord and my God. And he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So you have to have the Holy Spirit in you in order to be saved. You have to. It's part of it. 
Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. And I'm going to give you a lot of, of verses. Please write them down, especially if you're new to the faith. You need to write this stuff down. This is doctrinal stuff. This is what Christians believe. Galatians 4, verse 6 through 7. I would have you turn, but we'd be turning a lot this morning. I just, just write it down. Paul would say to the Galatians, and because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. He would say to the, in the letter to the Romans, in Romans 8, verse 9, Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And the Bible would go on to say that, we know that we've been born of God because we do not sin. Wait a minute. We do not practice sin any longer. Listen, I've been sinning since the day I was born again. But I'm not practicing it anymore. Right? Practicing is, pitch me another one. Pitch me another one. Well, let me, bend my, let me get better at it. When we were in the world, we tried to get better at our sins. We didn't care. There was no stopping but as a Christian, when you're born again, you don't want to hurt the Lord anymore. You don't want to do it anymore. You can't you sit around in the vomit anymore. But we do sin in thought and in action and in speech every single day. Lord, help us, right? And, the, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us with our sins. He helps us with our, with our lives to live holy lives. You have to have the Spirit in you. And people often ask, how do you know that you're saved? Well, because I'm a completely different guy. I don't do the things that I used to do. I loathe the things that I used to do. I don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. I'm different because I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. How did that happen? Supernaturally. Regenerated, born again of the Spirit. And I believe that when he spoke to them, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. So right around there somewhere, they, they confessed Jesus and then were baptized. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke. The Holy Spirit came upon them. The word upon in Greek is epi, which means to overflow. Now, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit indwelling us, right? Versus overflowing out of our lives. I believe that God the Holy Spirit desires to overflow in our lives. Where others can clearly see that we're empowered by his spirit. That others can clearly see through our behavior, through our, through our language, through how we interact with one another. That the Holy Spirit is working through us. We're clearly empowered. We're clearly overflowing. And that is for any believer who desires to be empowered by God. But again, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, I will pray, right? So there is an obedience that has to come with the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. If a Christian believes that he can or she can just be in sin and expect God to empower them, they're wrong. Holy Spirit is holy, and he came in the form of a dove. Remember that when Jesus was baptized? We, you know, they looked up, they saw the Holy Spirit come down upon him in the form of a dove. The Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But it's for everyone who needs help. Any Christian who needs help, the empowering is for you. 
the empowering is for every Christian. But I don't think all of us are crying out like we should for help from God. It takes time. Every battle in the Old Testament that we appreciate and love, oh, Joshua, oh, he met with the general of the Lord in the morning. He met with the Lord before those battles. And the one time he didn't, he lost that battle. So it is about spending time with the Lord. Our Jesus, our Savior, we see him spending time with the Father. We see him praying. We see the apostles praying. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us, but we have to cry out. Jesus told the disciples after he was resurrected and after he had breathed on them to wait in Jerusalem for the empowering, the overflow of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's true. They waited. The Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost and they began to preach and speak in tongues and, and, and begin the work of the church. The church was birthed at that time. And so we see them all go out with power preaching. And now we're at Paul the Apostle's third missionary journey and everything that he's doing, he's a man who's empowered, overflowing by the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing without God's help. God doesn't save us and then say, now go ahead and, and do it with your own strength. Zechariah uh, chapter 4, verse 6, this is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We do the things that God calls us to do that are always too hard for our flesh to do. It is always above our abilities. It is always above our pay scale. The things that Christ calls us to do, it is too hard for us to do. We need to depend on his Holy Spirit. We need to cry out and say, Lord, I'm yours. Your will be done. You're asking me to do something. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit overflow me? Wash me first and fill me overflowing. Paul the Apostle, speaking of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, would say in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that will empower our mortal bodies to do what God calls us to do. See, the thing is, we have to abide in Christ. Abide means intimacy, and people don't want to be close to Christ the way he requires us to be close to him. Abide means to be intimate, to be attached to him. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him shall bear much fruits. And the more we abide in him, the more we're attached to Christ, the more the fruits of the Spirit are going to be evident, the more the Holy Spirit is going to empower us and, and flow from us. Amen? So you can't have one without the other. That's the, Christianity isn't the problem, our obedience to spending time to the one we said we loved. We either are either committed to him or we are not. We need to be committed. And to me, that's it. You save me from my sins. Lord, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. The love of Christ compels me to be close to him. And my prayer is, let me, help me know you better. Help me do what you asked me to do. Help me to surrender to your will every day. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 10 through 13, For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. 
If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus would say in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. If any man thirsts, let him ask of the Lord. If a, if, a, if a child asks of his father for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? How much more will your heavenly father not give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The empowering. I could not have gone this far as a Christian if it wasn't for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We are only here because of the work of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen. Uh, you don't just whip up a church building during COVID. You don't just whip up people to come, come to the church building. It's one thing having a church, but look, you guys came. That's a miracle. That's of the Spirit. There, I know who I am, and I'm surprised you're here. Holy Spirit, not by might, not by power cleanse me i believe in you fill me with your holy spirit father fill me so that i can deal with these things have the wisdom for i have not received a, the spirit of fear but of power love and soundness of mind question is if you have the holy spirit in you are you walking in the spirit turn with me to galatians 5 in verse uh, 16 paul would write i say then Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit, guys, means abide with God. Pray. Stop. Be still and know that He's God. Talk to Him. Pour out your heart before Him. Pour out your cares. Give Him the first of your thoughts, of your morning. Go before Him. And don't stop praying throughout the day. Walk in the Spirit. That's what it means. So he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And that's our own bodies, these bodies of death. That's our own hearts that are desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, if we walk in the Spirit, we can put our flesh in check. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. Now you may not do the act, but do you think about it? Right? This talks about the thought life too, guys. Adultery, fornication, that's having sex without being married, shacking up uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is smoking weed. And I'm not talking about medicinal purposes with like CBD where there's no THC and you don't get high. I'm talking about weed that gets you high or whatever they do now. Sorcery, outbursts of wrath, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish, ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. 
which I tell you beforehand, just as I have also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In contrast to this, is this how we look like? I think that when we're baptized in the Spirit, I think this is the fruit of that, okay? Some think, oh no, if you're baptized in the Spirit, it's just like tongues, it has to be. Tongues and, and, and those kinds of signs, but not necessarily true at all. It's the fruit of, it's, it's love. Love is the greatest fruit that the Holy Spirit is at work in a believer's life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So it's just the Holy Spirit so beautiful, love, peace, joy, self-control. Not seeking one's own will, but the will of God. Seeking other people's well-being over our own. It's a very, it's a Christ-like life. It's, it's, that's what it is. That's what being filled with the Spirit is, and He empowers us for ministry and for other things. So are you walking in the Spirit? Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapin, above.